This is Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Big Daddy Gore of Gurgling Gore Records out of Maine. Did I get that right? You got that right. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you for your support. Thanks, Will. Yeah, man. Um, really great great to have you aboard. I know you've been a longtime supporter of not just the, the underground death metal scene, but of our podcast. And um, like I told you before, it's a little bit overdue. And I'm glad I could get you on to talk about some of your bands that you've um, uh, put out tapes and other things by. Before we get into even like Gurgling Gore Records, I want to know a little bit about the history of uh, maybe before you were Big Daddy Gore, maybe when you were just Gore, Little Guy Gore. I don't know. Um, but but you you know the show. I always ask if people are from a particularly musical family, musicians in your family, or anyone who got you into uh, hard music along the way. Um, actually, I didn't have anybody in my family that was musical. Um, parents weren't musical. My my dad can barely clap in time. Um, I was the oldest of my brothers, so I didn't have an older brother that got me into music. I just, um, I grew up religious. I grew up in the church, so that was really my introduction to music was, you know, a couple times a week, uh, church band kind of shit. Um, so I think that's really where it started for me. And, um, and then from there, um, back in the day, they used to have these, uh, BMG 12 CDs for a penny or 12 CDs for a dollar things that would come in the mail. And, um, I would get those and uh, as long as it was in the uh, Christian section, my parents gave me the okay to get it. So I started to get into like Christian death metal and shit like that, just because the covers looked cool to me. So that was really how I got introduced into death metal. Huh. Well, interesting, because if you're uh, a regular listener of the podcast, you know I have kind of a fascination with Christian death metal, and I've I've played it up on the podcast and recommended some bands. Yeah, yeah, I remember listening to that episode where you were uh, you did a whole whole thing on Christian death metal. Uh, do you, I mean, um, well, would you would you say you still identify as a Christian? Um, no, I don't. Uh, it's probably too complicated for that. No, I don't. I kind of. Uh, Went away from that, became agnostic, atheist, and then you know who knows what I am now, right? Um, but I still, there's still a lot of bands that I that I got into when I was a kid that I still like now, irregardless of what they're singing about. I I hear you, man. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and my my spiritual trajectory throughout my life looks like the um the meme of uh, Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's figuring out the conspiracy theories. That's like my <laughs> yeah. that's my spiritual uh, magnet. You know what I mean? I have no idea what's going on out in the universe. Um, but, yeah, that's me too, man. But well, yeah. But that, I just that, that the Christian death metal thing's interesting because I just was talking on a recent episode. I don't think it's been up yet. About um, we were talking about Broken Flesh, a band from Oklahoma, and I was just talking about how within the context of the underground death metal scene, those guys are like interesting underdogs. The Christian death metal bands. Are there any bands from when you first got into it, um, like you were saying that you you know that you were allowed to listen to for that reason that you still kind of listen to and you're like this this still hits, you know? Yeah, there's a couple albums that still hold up for me that I still listen to regularly. Um, there's a big band that a lot of people have heard of, uh, Living Sacrifice. Yeah. Um, they kind of they kind of started out doing like a thrash thing. Uh, they changed their sound a lot, but there's one album of theirs, Inhabit, that was earlier on, and it was just straight up death metal. And that was really 
really the album that introduced me to death metal and um i i think it holds up to today it's still one of my favorite death metal albums it's got like pitch shifted vocals on it and shit so that was my introduction to that too which i i've loved ever since i love pitch shifted vocals i never understood the hate for it <laughs> um so there's that and then there's also uh, crimson thorn was a yeah. really cool band from back in the day good bands um i think they hold up man they just they got such a beefy sound they they have an open invitation to the show. I had a brief exchange with somebody from that band, um, and I, I absentmindedly mis misstated the name of the new band they're in, in in the in the email. So I don't think they took me um, seriously, man. But those guys have an oh, open invitation. Not... Yeah, well, who knows, man? They like the, the Christian bands get a lot of shit too, man. So that, who knows? But uh, they have an open invitation, man. If anyone's listening, but um, getting getting past that, then like. Obviously, at some point, you start getting into, uh, you know, the, the, the more like the, the regular type of extreme metal that's not necessarily from the Christian rock scene or Christian music scene. Um, t- take me through that. And was it like a secretive thing? So your parents, you know, weren't aware of it or? Yeah, it, it kind of was secretive. Um, <clears throat> I kind of always told my my parents that the like when I'd go to shows and stuff, I'd be like, "Oh, they're Christian, or they're, or they're singing about they have a positive <laughs> message." And they were like, "Oh, that's cool. All right, whatever." Um, but really, it was uh, there was this old metalcore band called Zayo um, that I yeah. got into as well back in the day. And um, the vocalist, he had this. To me, it sounded unique. It was like this snarl. And I remember reading an interview or seeing an interview with him, and he the interviewer was like, how'd you get such a unique voice? Like, what is that all about? And he's like, it's not unique at all. I'm just, I'm ripping off Carcass. And I saw that Carcass thing. I was like, Carcass, that sounds cool. So uh, I asked my mom for Christmas for Carcass Heartwork CD. And uh, I think that she thought it was Christian because it had like the peace symbol on there and everything. Uh, And then it's called Heartwork, obviously. So she got it for me. And then that just blew my mind. And from there it was like, I don't know, there's only so much Christian death metal, so it was like, I was just hungry for more and more and more, so I didn't care at that point. I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian, I can still listen to whatever the fuck I want to listen to, you know? So, it just, I just kind of got obsessive. I uh, I started a webzine in high school, um, you know, like doing the HTML myself and shit, and uh, just so I could get more and more music. I'd hit up bands, like just send off like a hundred emails to all these bands I would find on like mp3.com, and uh, just to get free demos and shit. And uh, it just kind of went from there. I booked some shows in high school for some, for some sort of Christian death metal bands. Um, and I don't know, just, yeah, I just, I'm obsessive with it. I always have been. All right, interesting, man. And <clears throat> so you get into everything. I, I love the fact that you were able to trick your mom into thinking Heartwork was a Christian album. <laughs> That's very clever, man. Um, I don't know how she bought it because, like, at the same time, she also got me a back patch. And it was like the like the face that's all like disintegrated, like mutilated, falling apart, like that illustrated face that they had. And um, I'll never forget this either. I had the the nerve to ask my grandmother to sew it on my my vest <laughs> as a kid. And I'm like, I don't know how. Like she didn't say anything. She just did it for me. And I'm like, wow, that's I can't believe she did that. <laughs> wow, man. Anything for the kids sometimes, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. All, all right, so. I, 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 we get the impression you're kind of keeping this stuff under wraps as a kid a little bit. When do you branch out or like, like, like when do you come to a point where you can kind of like openly listen to this type of stuff and be about this type of stuff? Like, do you, do you move out at some point in your twenties or like, is there a confrontational period with your parents? I don't know. 
Um, no, my, you know, it's kind of funny. My parents were always actually really supportive. You know, I had, you know, extreme metal bands in high school, um, and they were supportive of it. They didn't really get it, but they were, they'd allowed us to practice in our basement and stuff. So they were always kind of cool about it. They didn't really care for some of my friends, I guess, but they were still supportive of me and, and what I did with that. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, in high school, I was actually, you know, I was still a Christian, so I was playing in the church band, and I remember starting to paint my nails black and wearing all black and shit, and and the, the preacher told me that I had to stop dressing the way that I was, or I couldn't be in the band, and I'm like, well, I'm not changing for you. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, like, saw a lot of hypocrisy and shit like that, and that kind of turned me off from all that religious stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know, there was no falling out with my parents. Um, I just, I moved out at 18, so it was like at that point I just got to do whatever I wanted. Okay, all right, man. And you talked about bands practicing in the house and things like that. You were part of the, the band. Well, being part of the, it was, a, it was a church band, like a praise worship team type of band? You got it, yeah. Okay, um, I, I played drums on a praise worship team in a church here on Long Island, um, years ago, oh, wow. that, that, no that, shit. that's a story for, as a, as a grown man as, in my thirties. Um, because I was, it's a very long story that I think I've alluded to on the podcast, but I, a coworker of mine was a retired professional musician and in his spare time, the pastor of a very small church here. And I basically was like able to kind of play drums anytime I wanted, as long as I backed him up on Friday nights and Sunday mornings for a period of time. So I kind of learned how to play the drums and had access to a drum kit, um, through that for a while, but I learned a lot. It was a very interesting experience. That's wild. Yeah, you know, I actually learned a lot being on that team too. It was a, it was a Pentecostal church, so yep. it's pretty far out there. Yeah. Um, and they would do like these, like, like almost like jam sessions where, like, mm-hmm. it's almost like Grateful Dead, but like Jesus is taken over. So you like, <laughs> you just go with the flow kind of thing. So we do like these like thirty minute long songs, and I'm playing guitar up there, just like just figuring out how to go with the flow. So I did learn a lot by doing that. Yeah, yeah, th- there was a lot of that. Um, the, uh, you know, the kind of long, drawn-out, like, like music as prayer type of experience. It was like, it was, there, was a lot, was, there was a lot of pressure, kind of, because, you, you know, you feel like it's somebody's spiritual experience, and you're, you know, you, it's, it, was a, it was a very, it was, like I said, it was an interesting learning experience. So I... Um, I was going to ask you, you know, like if you learned like things like maybe like musical technique through that, like, is that, was, was that kind of like your first experience with musical lessons? Um, I, I took guitar lessons starting when I was 12. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. Um, what was cool about that is it was, he was a Christian dude too. Um, but he would allow me to bring in my own music. So I'd bring in like living sacrifice CDs and stuff like that. And he would tab it out for me by ear. So that's kind of how I learned how to play metal guitar was to a Living Sacrifice CD with this with this older dude tabbing it out for me. Again, he didn't get the music. He was like, "This is wild." He thought it was hilarious, but then I'd show him the lyrics, and he was like, "Oh, it's it's like worship music." So he was cool with it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I got my foundation on how to play metal guitar. But after a couple of years, I just got tired of like the music theory and like I didn't want to learn how to play jazz and shit. I was like, "No, I just want to play fucking metal." So I yeah. quit and. And I, by that time, I had quit the the church band too. Okay, and do you? Um, we, we're going to get into Seep, uh, your your project, which um, you 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 alluded to uh, a new release that we will talk about coming out, and um, you you released some prior releases on your label very early on. 
Were there bands before Seep that you want to talk about? Um, I had some high school bands that they weren't, they're probably not worth talking about. And then when I was around 18 or 19, I started my own cyber grind um, project. Mm. Uh, that was called Hallowed Butchery of the Sun. And now that was kind of religious too, but it was also like, it was full of like curse words and it was like anti-hypocrisy in the church and stuff like that. And um, it was kind of chaotic live shows. We did I did a tour of Canada and it was a lot of fake blood and strobe lights and like, it was pretty, pretty much just karaoke. Like I'd program all the stuff and then just scream all over it live. And then from there, I I changed the name to Hallowed Butchery and transitioned into more of a a, uh, a funeral doom, like experimental funeral doom kind of thing. And I've had a, a couple albums out under that moniker and a couple splits over the years, but it's kind of off and on for like the last 20 years. Okay. Um, and, and what about late? Do you have, now you mentioned like booking shows early on in high school. Do you, do you continue down that route? Do you book shows into your adulthood? I did do some of that. Yeah, I I did uh I do some basement shows when I was in my young uh early 20s. Um and then booking at VFW halls. Um I think you know, I booked the coolest one I ever did was Wolves in the Throne Room and Thou and Falls of Raros and I put my myself held butchery on that. We we did it outside on the ocean. So that was a super cool gig. I don't know how many years ago that was, probably a decade ago now, quite a, quite a while ago. So, but yeah, so I was booking shows off and on, but I had kids at a young age too, so the, that kind of took up most of my time. God, okay. And wolves in the throne room outside on the ocean. That sounds extremely appropriate. That's like probably where you should watch them. Yeah, it was very fitting. Crazy. All right, so... Um, anything about that experience, man? Like, like, how were you able to, to, like, what was this at, like, a park? Was this an allegedly moment, or was this, like, all, you know, above the table? Like, were you able to get some sort of park space, or? Uh, no, it was pretty sketchy. Uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be at a VFW hall, and they canceled on me last minute, um, like, literally the day before. Ooh. So I started calling around, like, people in, in the area, and uh, there was apparently some guy who was squatting in this old warehouse, and he was like, hey, man, we can play outside of the warehouse. So is this just this old, like, abandoned warehouse area? He had, I don't know, he was a weird dude. Like, I show up there early, and there was, like, literally, like, rotting roadkill, like, hanging on stakes everywhere. He's like, yeah, I collect roadkill. And, like, I'm like, okay, this is this is bizarre. But uh, it all worked out, man. Wolf in the throne room showed up there, and they made their own stage out of plywood and uh, we we had ourselves a, a pretty crazy night. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Those guys look like the type of guys that would make their own stage out of plywood too. They got the Carhartt overalls on and stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. Out, outdoorsy guys. Um, I, I I I should reach out to them at some point. Um, but so I I get it. You kind of you know a family uh, oriented person at a young age. Um, you you book a few shows there. What about the label? Because what we're kind of what brought us together here for this interview is Gurgling Gore Records, your label that you've been running the last few years, um, doing a lot of like mainly cassette releases from underground death metal bands. Did you have any experience with a label prior to that? Um, yeah, actually, at the around eighteen or nineteen, I started a I started a record label. So this was uh, well, I'm I'm thirty five now. So however long ago that was. 
Um, I started a record label and I put out, it was more like handmade kind of stuff. Like I'd make the packaging, I'd like make stencils and paint each case and stuff like that. It was very DIY. Um, but it was all over the place. I'd put out black metal one, one minute and then put out like trip hop the next. So it didn't really have a focus and it didn't last very long, but that was fun. I, I was actually living out in Las Vegas at that time. And, uh, it got a little bit of uh, notice. I was, ended up being in a newspaper out there, and, you know, it was pretty cool. I learned quite a bit, and I learned uh, uh, a little bit about budgeting, and uh, that's kind of how it went under is because I didn't know what I was doing. Ran out of money. The, the fate of many underground labels, uh, unfortunately. But um, uh, So, well, let me ask you this first because you, you said you, you spent some time in Vegas. In Maine, I mean, you talked about this warehouse situation with Wolves in the Throne Room. I take it that where you're from is um, somewhat rural? Yeah, I live in a town that has less than a 1,000 people in it. Yeah, so I live very rurally. Got it. And that also kind of puts into context the Christian metal and the Christian scene being kind of like a, a window to the rest of extreme metal. Would you Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%, man. I uh, was very isolated up here. Um so yeah, that was totally my my window to the outside world, and it was really I started getting into music at like, in, not the beginning of the internet, but the beginning of when people started to get home PCs, and uh, we were probably one of the first uh, families in our neighborhood that had internet. So I really took advantage of that with the with the Napster and um, Soulseek and that sort of stuff. LimeWire. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um. Okay, man. Uh, so. I guess what I'm getting at is your experience with like, you know, kind of like uh, basement shows and, and these DIY things like, well, what was the, what was the scene like in Maine when you got out and got a, on, on your own in Maine? Like, were, were there shows accessible to you? Did you have to travel a lot to go to shows or something like that? Honestly, I was, you know, I was pretty lucky. I The state capital is, is like a 30 to 40 minute drive from me. Um, it's really a sh- the, the capital is a shithole. It's surprising. It's the capital. It's pretty small. <laughs> but there was a venue there in high school and after high school called the Edge, and it was a uh, it was kind of a venue to like to get youth off the streets and get them to doing something positive. But uh, they booked a ton of hardcore shows because at that time, uh, like Massachusetts hardcore was huge, and so it was like every weekend there was there were hardcore bands or metalcore bands playing there. So I spent a lot of weekends um, during high school and after high school going to that venue and, you know, seeing bands like uh, Unearth and shit like that. Okay, because my question, and it still might be, um, when you eventually end up in Las Vegas, I imagine that that might have been a, I don't know if you'd say a culture shock, but definitely um, a, a different way of doing things in terms of live entertainment and the, the, the music scene, right? Yeah, that was uh, very much a shock. I actually, my parents moved us out there my senior year of high school huh. um, to, to join a cult, actually. It was pretty weird. but um, okay. So we were out there for a couple of years, and um, I was going to a lot of shows out there. But again, there wasn't, I've always, when I was younger, I, I didn't care, like, about genres. It just, as long as it was extreme and underground, I was into it. So I was happy to go to, to anything. And it was weird because back then there wasn't really any metal shows in Vegas. Um, it was really, really a lot of hardcore, a lot of beat-down kind of hardcore shit. Um, 
I saw a lot of Christian hardcore bands actually out there too. Um, so it was mostly hardcore shows, but I went to a lot of them out there, and it was it was definitely a shock for me. There was a, it was a lot more violent, that's for sure. Um, so I saw I saw a lot of things there that I didn't see in Maine so much. Okay, and uh, you know I I gotta ask, and we can always edit it out or um, uh, just move on if you're more comfortable. But you you did say you said your parents moved you out there for a cult. Yeah, um, it was. So it was. I guess it was technically probably a, a Pentecostal church in a way, but it was a lot more bizarre than that. It was called the Extreme Church, huh. and um, people would you know like act like they were snorting out of the Bible and like convulsing on the floor and really strange shit. Um, and we spent a lot of time in the church. Um, the whole thing dissolved when it turned out that the leader was like fucking women in the congregation. Um, so then it kind of all fell apart. And it was like probably about 10 years later that my parents were like, Hey, sorry about that. You were right. That was a cult. So I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that that's you, you, you in the end, you kind of, uh, I guess you were, you were proven right. I guess it's nice that they acknowledged that. That's I'm, I'm glad there's a, some sort of ending there, happy ending there in some way. Yeah, sure. It just, I mean, it kind of just added toward, towards my hatred of, like, the hypocrisy kind of shit. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, like, it was weird because it's like there's so many people in Vegas, and it's so busy there. Like, it's such a contrast to how it was in Maine. But I, I still continue to be pretty isolated out there. So I really just kind of turned to music even more, you know, just got more obsessive with it and uh, just worked on making my own music more and learning how to record with a four track and then le- learning how to record, um, you know, with computers and stuff. Got it, got it. So um, you end up uh, uh, back in um, Maine, I take it, eventually. Uh, Las Vegas didn't work out after a while. When you got back to Maine, um, did did it did it change the way you looked at music or what you might have aspired to do in terms of, I, I don't know, booking, producing, releasing in any way, um, having been to Vegas and seen another side of the scene? Yeah, I kind of I kind of stopped booking um, shows. And um, that's when my my daughter was born, so I really uh, just started focusing on family. Um, And then I joined a local, like, death metal, thrash metal band in the area, and I was the vocalist off and on for that band for uh, 10 to 15 years. Um, I never really cared for our style, but but it gave me an opportunity to play with a lot of bands that I liked um, in the Portland, Maine area, which is the biggest city in Maine. Um, so I got out quite a bit, you know, a, a show a month, two shows a month. Um, you, you get a chance to, um, help out a local band and you perform some shows. Uh, you kind of, so, so it's interesting now cause you kind of like, you saw what the scene was like in Las Vegas, which is very different from where you were from. Um, you kind of see maybe things from behind the scenes a little bit, opening up for bigger bands and helping out your, your friend's band for a while there. Um, but then you want to move forward and do seep. So tell me about that, because obviously, if people don't know, they can check out um, very early on in the Gurgling Gore roster. I believe uh, Writhing Shadows, whose new album you just put out, their uh, Devourment of God's People demo was your first release in 2020, right? Um, it, that actually wasn't technically a Gurgling Gore release. They self-released it, but um, they gave me copies to distro. So that was like, 
it's kind of confusing. So it's not technically a gurgling gore release, but I did distro it. A little bit of a collaborative effort. Um, I, I get it. Yeah. I'm going off Metal Archives, by the way, so it, uh, it's fine. Um, but so, Seep, uh, Souvenirs of a Necrosadist EP, EP 2020. Is that like the first proper thing you put out? Yeah, and that was really the reason why I started the label is because I had been working on that EP off and on for a couple of years. And um, I wanted to, I had self-released another project on tape like a year prior, and I used those funds to start up the label. And um, I, I kind of wanted a label behind Seep, but I didn't want to bother with trying to find a label because I had done that quite a few times in the past with other projects, and it was just painful to send off your demo to, you know, 100 labels and not hear back from any of them. Yeah, So that's yeah. why I started Gurgling Gore. It's painful to send off uh, to a dozen interview requests and not hear back from any of them, man. Trust me, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But um, uh, it's all good, though, man. Uh, so Seep uh, comes in. Now, tell me a little bit about that, because you talk, you said that you were you know, you know, were helping out uh, a local band that you were friends with, but Seep is a little bit more what you were, what you were aspiring to do. Um, so... so Take us through that a little bit, man. Like, what's the inspiration? Obviously, like, that raw, older, death metal kind of gore grind vibe is is there. Um, but, like, what exactly, like, did you envision doing a whole label around it? Or was it just kind of like, it just kind of came in waves? No, I kind of did envision doing a whole label around it. I was, I was kind of inspired by, a, like, a lot of older brutal death metal, but then, like, older death doom, too, and, like, a hybrid between those two. Um, just, like, a rawness. Uh, like 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 early cyanide mixed with early internal bleeding kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, the, originally the idea for Gurgling Gore was that I would put out that and it would you know make me look bigger than I am to have a label backing me, even though it's all just me, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then from there, I kind of wanted to hit up like some older brutal death metal bands and try to reissue their stuff. So I hit up some bands and. They got some got back to me, some didn't, but all of them were just like, "Nah, we're good," which makes sense. I mean, I had one release to the or two releases to the label, so, and then from there, I just kind of shifted. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll I'll get away from that old brutal death metal and just just focus on newer bands that are playing death metal in that old style that are but that have a kind of a unique vibe to them. Yeah, and you've kind of curated an interesting roster. Like I said, Writhing Shadows. Um, if you just, just you did, did you actually release Flesh Magic of the Harrispex EP in 2020? Yes, I did. Yep, that was my first for them. Okay, got it, got it. Because that's an interesting band. I enjoy them, man. It's it's got this kind of like um, old school bolt thrower influence, obviously, but kind of like a brutal death metal thing. And they've been very busy during the pandemic. I guess you'd say 2020 and 21. And you just put out their self titled full length album, right? Yeah, and it's it's a fucking awesome album. I recommend everybody checking it out because it's definitely got that bolt thrower vibe, but there's like more to it. It's it, it's a little bit darker, and they've got some cool, you know, dark melodic passages, and but it's just super crushing too. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Also, a little bit. I mean, this is just me. Um, you know, we could we can compare all day. I heard some some. I, I really like um, Benediction Transcend the Rubicon. It's one of my favorite yeah. albums, and there's a quality to the Writhing Shadows that kind of feels like a similar flavor sometimes with what they do. Um, yeah, I can hear that totally. And both, yeah, just very straightforward, uh, old school British brutal sound. And Writhing Shadows, those guys are from Alabama, right? They are. Yep. 
So, so like, I mean, obviously, I guess you just kind of came in touch with them by distributing the demo. Um, but, uh, you know, have you ever gotten a chance to see them live? Have you ever met up or is it is it just like a, a kind of like great minds think alike type of thing? We haven't met up yet. I'd really love to. They've they've been playing some good shows with some great bands lately, and I'm like, man, I need to fucking buy plane tickets to go to Alabama. But it's just maybe someday. But uh, for them, I just kind of they were one of the first acts that I hit up. I just after I did the Seep thing, I was like, well, I need more than just myself. So I just started honestly scouring Bandcamp, like just listening to everything and being like, oh, do they have a label behind them? Do they have a label behind them? And then I finally found Writhing Shadows buried in the death metal section, and I listened to the Devourment of God's People, and I was like, this is fucking sick. And I saw they didn't have a label, they didn't have physical release, so I just hit them up and kind of told them what I was all about, and they were totally on board with it. So we've just, we've kind of had a, uh, a, a um, we've just kind of been together ever since. Sweet, man. Yeah, because I, I, I associated them with your label very early on, and I, I enjoyed what they do. Um, and then also another band I kind of associated with Gurgling Gore early on that kind of like popped off, Wharf Lurch. Um, d- d- you put out in 2020 again, um, you put out uh, the Lurking Doom EP on cassette, right? Yeah, yeah, that's their their first EP, yep. Yeah, well, th- that's a really interesting band too. I I enjoy that stuff, and they kind of, um, I feel like they kind of t- like like they touched off on something that was going on during the pandemic, where a lot of bands, uh, younger bands, were blowing up online, um, and 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 just getting hype and kind of like you know once things opened up, they were playing shows and stuff like that. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about that band? They're kind of like a psychedelic, brutal death metal thing. Yeah, they're 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 super special. Mike Mike Colby, he's the uh he's like the mastermind behind the band. Um he's just a super super nice dude and a super talented dude. Like everything he does is just phenomenal. He's also he's got a, like a solo project Plasmodulated that I that I released the the demo for and then he's also in Hot Graves, which is like a really cool death thrash band. Um but yeah, just super talented dude and and Warflurge, um I can't remember if I hit them up or he hit me up first, but essentially he was like, "Hey man, if you want to release this this EP, that'd be cool." So he kind of like got behind me from the beginning and he he said it from the beginning too that he wanted to get with like a smaller label and and grow together and that's kind of what we've done. It's been cool to see how much hype they've gotten. Um they had their first album come out last year and I put that out on tape and and uh, another label put it out on CD and LP, and it's just, it did a lot of hype. I don't know if people just really, it resonated with people, that whole, like, album about mushrooms and having that psychedelic vibe, but also being death metal and, and kind of being fun, too, you know? I think it, it's kind of it just hits in a similar way to a lot of bands that have been bubbling up from the younger generation the last few years, uh, kind of like the new school of, of uh, underground brutal death metal. Um, and they, they kind of hit it right. And also, yeah, it's, it's like, there's something, some element about it where it's fun, but it's not like, like it's, 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 it's fun, but it's still brutal. It's still sick. You know what I mean? Like it's not a clown time project, you know what I mean? But there's some element of, I don't even know if fun is the right word, but some relatability to it. Um, I really enjoyed that. And, and, and then there's, you know, we get into it. There's, um, Thorn, which is another great project. Um, you, you put out, uh, some, um, of their material in 2020, uh, that's actually, um, Brennan, uh, Westermeyer, um, of, uh, a lot of other projects. Um, I, th- I think 
fluids, paranoia apparition, et cetera. You want to talk about that? You've, you've put out some work by him. Yeah, again, um, similar kind of thing with as with Writhing Shadows. I found Thorn, you know, on Bandcamp, and uh, he had his first um, EP, The Encompassing Nothing, and I listened to it, and I just, I really, I really liked the sound. It was like a... It was like a mixture of like sludge and death metal and like hints of like almost post metal in, in some of the riffing. Um, it just was super heavy, so I hit him up and was like, "Hey, I'd like to release this." And he was like, "Yes, please," because I've hit up you know hundreds of record labels and none of them have gotten back to me. So interesting. So we that kind of started a relationship there, and um, from there I've I've done a couple other. I did his two full lengths. Yeah. And what's kind of cool is that. Yeah, he's the vocalist for Fluids now, um, but when I had linked up with him, he he was not. And how he got to be the vo- vocalist of Fluids is that they heard that first EP and they really liked his vocal style. And, and when they lost their original vocalist, they they hit him up and and because they're from the same area, so that's how that that all came about. So I kind of feel like I'm like maybe a little bit responsible. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Yeah, you you played your part, man. That's great. Um, you made it available and and um, yeah, uh, uh, crawling worship is um the uh, one full length from 2021. Uh, as I look here, uh, and and um, people are recommended to check that out. And the encompassing nothing is the EP from uh, I guess I guess that was 2021 as well, or 2020. But I'm just making the point as we move forward. 2020 was a big year with some of these bands that we just talked about that you put out, who who have you know gone on to make their imprint in the scene. By 2021, what did it feel like? Did you feel like, you know, it was snowballing, like this thing has legs, you know? Like, what was your impression of it? Yeah, man, I mean, I I still feel like that sometimes. I just get stoked, like, it was cool when I got to do a fluids split with Oxidized Razor. I'm like, how what, How am I able to do this? This is crazy. And then, and then like, with Pharmacist, I was a big fan of Pharmacist. Yeah. And hit him up and was like, hey, I'd like to release something for you. And they're like, all right, let's work together. So we did a few releases together. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of been surreal for me, man. I'm just, uh, I take it one day at a time, but I still get super stoked, like, for every release. It doesn't matter if it's some small band with a bunch of 18-year-old kids or if it's, like, getting to reissue Necrony, you know? Like, it's, I just get stoked for everything, and it's all surreal for me. Well, that's the next one I was actually going to ask you about was Necrony. Um, you put out a, a tape edition of their uh, uh, reissue, Pathological Performances. Um, did it, I don't know if you were the one that did the groundwork to get in touch with uh, whoever's responsible for, for the, the rights to that or whatever, but I don't know if you want to talk about how you came into putting that out. Yeah, I, I've, I've been a big fan of that album for a lot of years. Uh, like I said, I got into Carcass when I was a kid, and then I just kind of always gravitated towards bands that had a Carcass kind of vibe or sound to them, and so um, I found them scouring the internet many years ago, probably on some blog site or something, or illegally downloaded it. I don't know. Allegedly. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, right, right. Uh, so I w- always really liked that album, and I kind of came back to it um, a couple years ago, and I was like, I-, I can't believe this hasn't been reissued over the years. Mm-hmm. So I kind of did some digging, and I found Anders' um, contact information. And so I just shot him off an email. I'm like, he probably won't reply, but whatever. And I just kind of said I was a huge fan, and... I'd love to do a tape reissue of it. And um, he, he actually got back to me, and he's like, well, tell me some more details of what, what you want to do. And I kind of just, you know, told him, and he's like, let's do it. And he's like, I've been hit up many times over the last 20 years to do a reissue of this, and 
with all these exquisite offers, and he's like, I kind of just have always wanted to keep it underground. Hmm. And uh, so he's like, this is the first time where I've been, like, actually intrigued. You know, you just want to do tapes? Okay, let's do it. So we just, you know, we just kind of went back and forth, and he would start digging into his shed and pulling up uh, old illustrations and, and stuff from the archives, and uh, we made it happen. I, I couldn't believe it happened, dude. I was, I was so stoked. Wow. Okay. Because cause sometimes with these things, there's like a middleman or there's a licensing deal or something, but you actually got in touch with Anders from Necrony, and he was also a member of NASM, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yep. Wow, man. I mean, was um, were you able to pick his brain about anything, or was it just straight, you know, strictly business? Um, he, he filled me in on a couple things. I mean, there was it was kind of cool. He sent over uh, this old promo pic of the two of them, uh, Anders and Ricard, and they're standing in front of like this, like like smashed face. It looks like this face has been smashed with a hammer, like a, a real face. It's real gore. And I, I'd seen that floating around on the internet before, and he kind of filled me in on the backstory on that. He said that was like actually a marketing campaign um, to get people to not like to wear a seatbelt. That's what it was to wear a seatbelt when they're driving. So that was like a big billboard. So they just like pulled off on the side of the road and climbed up on it and, and got a picture real quick, and that ended up being their promo photo. So that was kind of a fun tidbit that he that he told me. Um, otherwise. Uh, he really doesn't like the album. That's what I kind of thought was funny. Is he kind of was like, he, kind of a piece of shit. You know, he's surprised anybody likes it kind of thing. But then it was kind of cool because as it progressed and as we communicated more, he was like, you know what? There's actually, there's something there. You know, it's not as bad as I thought. So it's like he hadn't revisited it in a long time. And and now what's cool is it's kind of like kicked off a thing. Like he's, he's since like opened up and had other labels release uh, CD and uh, and like, you know, south american and european tape versions and stuff so it's been cool to see him see him do a lot more with it cool man all right all right all right it looks like you're um uh sometimes you give people a a gentle nudge in the right direction there man that's cool i like that i Um, guess so yeah i'm I'm trying to he's friends with uh the guys from regurgitate so i was like hey can you give me their contact info because that first regurgitate album needs a repress uh (laughs) all their albums do really but uh so i hit up I hit up Urban and uh, I didn't get any response. So, well, good good luck. You never know, man. And yeah, the, uh, pretty much anything from before they signed to Relapse, I'd imagine, is very difficult to get nowadays, man. So you're right. It is, and I mean, it's surprising. Even their some of their Relapse stuff, um, like Carnivorous Erection, like I mean, you'd be lucky to get it for less than forty or fifty bucks. Hmm. It's kind of crazy to me. Interesting, man. I, I got to. Um... I gotta look at my collection now. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But um, I actually have a, a, a dub of their first album that uh, Adam Rotella made me. Shout out to Adam. But there's, I'm just kind of like looking through because Necrony was definitely one I wanted to talk to. Um, you put out Nunslaughter, Black Death Phantom EP in 2021. Did you deal with the infamous uh, Dawn of the Dead? I did, yeah. He, he actually hit me up. He said, okay. uh, he, I didn't hit them up. He, he emailed me and was like, hey, uh, you want to trade? And so we, we did a trade. And, and then he was like, hey, you want to put out our new EP? And I was like, that was another surreal mo- surreal moment for me. I'm like, what? Fucking Nunslaughter wants me to put out their EP? This is crazy, dude. Yeah, fuck yeah, I want to. Yeah, long-running band. That's what I mean. It's kind of like snowballing now, like Pharmacist, Necrony. Um, uh, well, well, that's another thing with Pharmacist. So while I'm getting the little behind-the-scenes stories, what was it like dealing with the guys in Pharmacist? Um, pretty cool, man. I'm, it was all, you know, through email and, yeah. and, and messages and stuff, but, uh, 
he's an interesting guy. Like he's from the Ukraine, but he he lives in Japan. I don't know the whole story. I I asked, but he didn't want to tell, and that was fine. So, but yeah, he's been a really cool guy. Super talented. Like that's a band that's just really kind of exploding, and I think they deserve to. It's 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 awesome. Like they have such a sick sound, and it kind of changes from release to release, which is cool. I like that. Yeah, really interesting band. It's an, another band that the last few years has kind of just kind of exploded in people's imagination in the scene, I believe. Um, and something that, speaking of imagination, something that you put out that uh, is a really interesting music and and definitely worthy of a release, but I thought maybe veered a little bit um, a little bit differently from from your other things was uh, the band Epitaph. Um, who, if I got it right, they're actually from France. You put out um, their one and two uh, full lengths, their first and second. They're just titled one and two, if I got it right. Yeah, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're definitely the oddball in the catalog because they're they're very very progressive, and um, I mean they have 20 minute long songs, and it spans lots of genres. It kind of mixes black metal and death metal and doom metal and um, almost like prog rock too, in a way. Um, yeah, they're out there. How that came about is that uh, their label is Aesthetic Death. Uh, it's a English label that has uh, been around for a long time, actually, and they kind of put out more, a lot of Doom stuff, but a lot of like weird experimental stuff. Um, they released like uh, Esoteric, uh, some of their earlier albums. Um, and how that all came about is that that aesthetic death actually put out my other project, Hallowed Butchery. He put out my second album, and so we've kind of had a uh, a relationship for a while. And he he had mentioned Epitaph had an album coming out and asked if I would want to do the tape version. And I, it's phenomenal shit. I couldn't say no to it. At first, I was like, you know what, this is kind of different. It doesn't have that ignorant, uh, like you know, vile kind of gruesome shit. Mm-hmm vibe to it but it's just too good i couldn't say no i just love it too much and same with the second album it's just uh i'm biased to say it but it's it's got to be one of the best albums that came out this year it's just phenomenal it's it's not an everyday listen because it's just it takes a lot out of you to listen to it but it's just a phenomenal album yeah, absolutely. Highly recommended to our listeners, even if, because, you know, we, we do have listeners who maybe not every episode we're talking to someone who's their their particular style that they like to listen to a lot. So even if um, some of our listeners aren't necessarily into, like, gurgling gore-style bands, they like something a little bit more, like, you know, eclectic or artistic or whatever you want to call it, man. Like you said, veering away from that kind of ignorant, brutal style, that epitaph is definitely something people could take away from this, too, man, regardless of where they stand on brutal death metal. Because uh, Epitaph is different altogether, uh, re- really high, highly recommend it. Kind of, kind of just like um, surprised me a little bit in a good way when I was uh, reviewing a lot of a lot of the artists you've worked with. Um, and, uh, uh, another one that you've worked with is Druid Lord, which is actually aren't those guys all a bunch of like OG Florida guys? Yeah, yeah, guys from uh, Etcheron, um, Equinox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guys that have been in the scene. For in florida since you know late 80s early 90s great band uh just actually what's crazy about that too it's another one where where pete just kind of hit me up and we started chatting and trading and he wanted to rep gurgling gore uh shirts on the stage and shit so i sent him stuff and i don't know we just kind of we've we've had a really good uh long distance relationship and there's a lot more to come between gurgling gore and druid lord but 
this year we put out um, their 2012 and 2013 7-inch EPs. We, we combined those and did a compilation on one tape for them. And um, they, they put out, man, that's another band that put out one of the best albums this year. That new album of theirs that came out on Hell's Headbangers is just, it's like one of the best Death Doom albums ever, dude. It's so fucking good. Yeah, really great shit, man. I enjoyed it a lot. It, um, I mean, I, you know, I, and obviously in my caveman brain, I only have a few references of, of comparison, but I, I just like how it has a very old school kind of doomy death vibe. Maybe, maybe like some of the Finnish uh, bands I, I love so much um, that people know, like that old school kind of kind of cold doom death vibe. But they have a, uh, a little bit of Black Sabbath twist going on. I think you know. Yeah, there's almost like a slight stoner vibe there. You know, yeah. like a stoner kind of vibe, which I like. But then the vocals are a raw approach. It's not like some deep guttural. It just it sounds old. That's what I like about it. It sounds like stoned death metal guys, not yeah, um, yeah. not creepy, not creepy hippies. Like there's a lot of different types right. of doom metal. You know what I mean? Definitely, it sounds right. like some cool stoned death metal dudes from Florida. Yeah, um, 60s horror. Yeah, it's it's that it's cool shit, man. And um, uh, there's you know you've you've put out a lot of releases, and I you know you, before we um, uh, move on, you did mention that coming up you have a new Seep release in July, and I see that some of the information is available. It's going to be called Hymns to the Gore, um, in July two thousand twenty-two, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, uh, I think it just got announced today. The uh, it, there was a press release. Um, that's actually getting put out by Extremely Rotten Productions, which is um, David from Undergang. He, he runs that label in Denmark. Okay. Have you worked with Undergang? I have not. We. That, that's kind of... Uh, he wanted to carry some Gurgling Gore releases over him. He's got a physical shop over there. Um, and so I sent him some stuff, and then he was asking about Seep. He said he really liked the demo, the EP. Um, and asked what my future plans were, and um, that was last year. I've, the album, I've had this Seep album done for over a year, so I kind of filled him in on it, and he was like, well, I'd, I'd like to put it out. So we've been working on that over the last six to eight months, and it's finally going to see the light of day um, July, I think it was July 8th, so July 15th, I can't remember. Okay, and I don't know if there's anything you want to speak to in terms of um, people who may have heard um, the, the last release, like what they can expect from this one. Yeah, I think it's, it's quite a bit different from that first demo. Um, I was listening to a lot more brutal death metal when I was writing this new album. So it's got a, a real brutal death metal sound, but with a slow tempo. Um, I'm trying to think of some point of comparison. I can't really think, but it's like, uh, I don't know, like maybe like Japan's Gorevent, if they played like Death Doom. I, I don't know. It's it. I just try to make it as as heavy and as uh, as gross as I could. And uh, I've always kind of liked the doomier vibe of, of music and of death metal. Uh, so it's got a lot of that. But I also like interspersed some gore grind influences in there too, with pitch shifted vocals and you know fast blasts and stuff. Okay, man, got it. Um, looking forward to that then, man. Interesting that, it, that it'll be a little bit of a switch up, uh, maybe from the last one. Um, and people can look for that. You said what was it was July 8th? Yeah, let me see. I think it's July 8th. Uh, 
it just got announced today, so I, you know, I don't remember. It's July 8th or July 15th. It's a Friday. Uh, I think it's July, July 8th. Metal Archives has your back. Um, but also, because July 15th, the next Friday, you're also putting out the cassette version of the new uh, the new Maul album, Seraphic Punishment. Um, re- yes. Redefining Darkness Records on the other formats, but you're putting out the cassette tape. Uh, Maul, an extremely busy band from Fargo, North Dakota. They've put out quite a few little releases since 2018. Yeah, they've been very busy. This is, But this is their first full length. And it is, uh, when he sent it to me and I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is, this like this to me sounds like it should be on like a big label. It's 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 really good and it's death metal, but it's just got a little bit, just a little hint of hardcore in there. I hate saying that because sometimes it throws people off, but it's just got that aggressiveness of hardcore. Yeah, but it's it's definitely death metal, and it's it's just it's a great album. I'm really stoked that they asked me to put it out. Uh, yeah, I I was um th- there there is. I believe it's available unless I unless I was wrong and I was listening to something else by Maul, but I believe there's at least a, a song or something available from Seraphic Punishment online if people yeah look. yeah the ti- yep the title track is uh, is streaming. What what was was it was it one of the one of the blogs put it out right recently? Yeah, I want to say I think it was Invisible Oranges. Yeah, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. I, I you know sometimes it gets especially when I'm interviewing someone from a label because I'm like kind of like taking notes on all these different bands um, instead of one band, so it gets a little jumbled in my head. I apologize if, if that was wrong, but shout out to Invisible Oranges. Um, yeah, so the song um, the, the Seraphic Punishment. I was able to listen to that on their website uh, with that when that article came out. Really cool stuff. Um, I would agree with your assessment, and I think it kind of fits with uh, the line of bands you've been putting out. I especially think, uh, not that they sound the same, I wouldn't say that, I'm not trying to imply that, but I think that Maul complements Writhing Shadows in a way. Um, yeah, they, absolutely. They both have something, you know, like like for, if they played a show together, it would make a lot of sense, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and they actually did a little tour with each other at the beginning of this year. It was uh, Writhing Shadows, Wharf Lurch, and Maul. Okay, I missed that, unfortunately, man. Shit, it probably came through Brooklyn, too, if I remember correctly. I think it was a small handful of dates, and I want to say it was mostly in the Midwest. Okay, maybe it wasn't. I mean, I've been missing a lot of shows this year, a lot going on, but um, that's for another time. But, um, so did you, were you able to get to uh, any shows to see any bands that you've put out since you started the label? I don't know how often, how frequently shows come to your area. Yeah, Maine is... Uh, doesn't have much going on, and I used to travel out of state. I used to go to New Hampshire and Mass, but one of the last times I did that, like six or seven years ago, I was like almost fell asleep at the wheel. So mm. I was like, "Yeah, I'm getting too old for this shit, man." It was Slayer and King Diamond, so it was worth it. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna do this anymore. <laughs> fair enough, man. Fair enough. If only if only the Christian metal scene could see you now, man, going to Slayer and King Diamond. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But. Uh, all right, man. So, well, I got I got to say because I didn't realize until I was doing the research uh, that Maul was from Fargo, North Dakota, um, kind kind of far out there, which is also itself. I don't think it's a very. I think it's a, also like a sparsely populated area. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there. I have not. All I know of it is, is the Fargo movie and the Fargo TV show, which yeah. I love. <laughs> I know. I always think of that. Well, well, a band I used to be in one time actually went through Fargo, North Dakota. And we played, it was some sort of kind of like youth center type of venue. I remember they had like like a mural type of thing on the wall of the Gorilla Biscuits artwork. 
uh, which was interesting. Oh, yeah, it was some sort of little venue, and we pulled in. We were, like, late, and... Um, uh, you know, long story short, uh, there was really like no no turnout. Um, it was like a rainy Sunday night and blah blah blah. But the um, the promoter took really good care of us. I remember he specifically said like he said something about he he was a farmer and you don't mess with farmers or something like that. So like that's why he paid <laughs> like like he you know he paid us out of respect. Like you know I, I don't know man it was it was it was interesting night. But they they took real good care of us in Fargo, North Dakota. So shout to them uh, and shout to Mall. I'd be interested if the members of Mall might know that venue I'm talking about or if they've ever performed there but um maybe we'll get them on one time to talk about it so uh you know speaking of that that's interesting to me you talk about driving out of state going to massachusetts and um where else to go to shows uh mostly mass and new hampshire mass and new hampshire because yeah you know i've toured around a little bit i'm not a, an old school tour dog but um maine i think is one of the few states i haven't performed in I, I didn't get the impression that there was a whole lot for live underground metal going on unless you knew where to look yeah, I mean, the Portland area has had an underground metal scene for a lot of years. I say that, but there's you can count the number of bands on like your two hands. But still, there's a guy, there's a couple guys there that have just really been diligent in booking shows for for a lot of years. So they, like, I've seen Immolation at like a tiny club like three or four years ago. Um, so you know, there's bands that come up here, but it, it is pretty rare because it's just. It's inconvenient. It's out of the way. Unless they're going up to Canada, they're really not going to, you know, want to make the trek. Yeah, I guess that's what it would have to be. It's kind of like a on the way to uh, New Hampshire, or on the way to Canada, or coming back home from type of thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, a lot of bands still need to, you know, if if you can if you can sell a few CDs at that show and get a few bucks in your pocket, it's better than not playing a show that day on tour. You know, that's that's an important part sometimes. Absolutely. I saw that Pyrex here were looking to uh, come up this way, so I, I hooked them up with some booking info, and I'm like, please, please, God, come, because I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'd love to see them. That would be awesome, man. Um, uh, the, you know, Obviously, people who know the podcast know those guys are, are friends of mine, are real good guys, and they're actually, they just played MDF last night. Um, we, you know, The listeners know we record this a little ahead of time before it comes out, man, so shout out to them. They're making big moves and trying to get out there as much as possible, man. I appreciate you uh, helping the crew out a little bit. That's awesome, man. That rules. You know, that new album, man, is, is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I think a little bit of a return to the old, it's like a good mixture of their older style and their newer style. It's, it's, it's good, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I'm looking at releases for gurgling gore. I think, I guess a tape copy of the fluids putrid stew split is the, 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 the last thing that's on the, on deck for now. Um, yeah, I did that. When did I put that? I put that out. I think I put that out either at the beginning of the year or late last year. Oh, okay. Because, um, on metal archives, I guess it's just listed as uh, a more recent release. Um, but well, you talked a little bit about fluids and shout to Putrid Stew. That's um, uh, Cody. From, yeah, yeah, Cody yeah, from, from uh, Sangasugabag. Yeah. Um, so then you tell me. Um, we talked a little bit about the new seep, uh, the new mall. What, what else do you have uh, on deck that you can talk about? Um, I recently, within the last month, I put out a, uh, a debut demo from a, a band called Sanctuarium. Um, they're from Spain. It's actually one guy. It's a solo project. Uh, really old school, raw, death doom, like ceremonium, disembowelment kind of shit. Maybe a little Dizma. Um, super 
super killer demo. Um, and I'll be doing his full length in the fall. And uh, it's it's a phenomenal album. I can't wait for people to hear it. Um, other than that, I've got I've got a bunch more stuff in the works with Druid Lord. We're gonna go back in their catalog and do some more reissues. And um, we're talking about doing that recent Anatomia Druid Lord split. Mm. Um, I'm even kind of chatting with Pete about doing the Equinox um, albums, doing doing some tape versions of those. Um, other than that. Um, that's the I'm doing a C, I'm doing a special edition of the Seep album via Gurgling Gore. Extremely Rotten Productions is doing the the regular tape and the vinyl and the CD, but I'm going to be doing a special edition in like a vinyl case, and uh, it's got some really cool artwork. Uh, Nightmare Imagery did the artwork. He he created like 30 or 40 sculptures, and then like staged this whole scene in an abandoned house to kind of look like a murder scene. It's almost like a real gore kind of thing, but it's more of like, it's more like exhumed gore metal kind of vibe to it. And uh, so he's making up a bunch of these uh, replicas of the sculpture, of the eyeball sculpture from the cover. And so we're going to, we're going to include those with the special edition. So we're going to go big with it. Love it. Love it, man. You got to get creative nowadays, man. You got to set yourself apart. That's cool. Yeah. You got to have that collectability factor. Yeah, you know that, man. Um, well, speaking of that, man, I mean, you do you do a tape label. Um, nowadays, I, you know, it's kind of like everything old is new again. Like, everything nostalgic and metal is hot right now. Um, do you want to speak to that, how cassette tapes came back? Like, do you, um, do you, do you see this as, like, a, a fad, or do you see something in cassette tapes that is just, like, more, um, uh, like, I, I don't know, like timeless like like it's just has like like the because to, to me personally in terms of um extreme metal and things like punk hardcore and hip-hop i believe the cassette tape is there's something magical about that format with those genres yeah man i think it's uh i mean i think for some people it's probably a fad and, and you know maybe it'll we're on a wave right now and the, the wave will come down but for like hardcore people you know like myself diehards like it's forever, you know, but for me, I think the cassette is, is it's like a, it's like the budget version of a vinyl record. You know, it's got that collectability factor. It's analog, but it's small and compact and it's, it's a lot cheaper. It's cheaper for the, you know, the fan to buy, but it's also cheaper for the label and the band to produce, you know, it's like two or three bucks a tape, you know, sometimes to to do. And uh, so it's just, it's a lot easier to get your foot in the door than it is to do vinyl and have to wait, you know, six to 12 months, turn around and put down thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very kind of like uh common man every day about it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's also to me, in my experience, the cassette tape has always proved to be the most durable uh, of the formats. You know, CDs can get scratched. Um, obviously we can be careful with our CDs. We're adults, but I'm just saying in general, <laughs> You know, throughout my life, I, I still can play cassette tapes that I've had for like literally thirty years, um, and they still play just fine, uh, or 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 listenably at least. You know, I can't say the same for CDs that I've had for fifteen, twenty years, um, and vinyl records. Obviously, there's a whole degree of fragility and preservation that's involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree totally, man. Yeah, I still have. You know, I still have, like, for example, I still have that Living Sacrifice and Habit tape, and that, mm-hmm. that thing still plays just fine. But uh, I kind of am, it's funny, I I love tapes, but I, I do also love CDs, but 
I don't think the love for CDs is there with everybody else. You know, they don't really have much as much of a collectability, or uh, at least with the younger crowd, for whatever reason. I think the younger crowd seems to like cassettes and vinyl. It's like a nostalgia for something that they, for a time, they never lived in. I don't know. It's it's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. For like for the generation now, with all the technology they grew up with, a cassette tape or a vinyl is kind of retro and cool. Where a CD, it's kind of like in a box with a with with the floppy disk. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, you know, yeah, totally. Or a uh, or like a what, what were those things? The BlackBerry phones. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like it has, yeah. it hasn't been long. It's you know it hasn't been long enough for it to come back. You know what I mean? Um, right, and I'm kind of waiting for that day. I'm kind of <laughs> getting a little excited. I'm wondering if it's going to be ten years or what. Well, we'll see, man. I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep my CDs nice, man. We'll see what the, what the what the values. But it's like you said too. There's that, um, like the carnivorous erection regurgitate forty or fifty bucks. There are some things, man. If you look on Discogs, my thing is I kind of surf Discogs for like obscure older bands that haven't gone up in price yet. Like you could still get their CD for six bucks or something. Dude, I'm, that's that's what I'm doing all the time on Discogs. Yeah, I'm like, let me find some obscure Polish brutal death metal band that nobody cares about yet, and Ex- we'll uh, exactly. get that for five bucks. <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. Um, so you've been very generous with your time, uh, Big Daddy Gore of Gurgling Gore Records out of Maine. Um, we've talked about a lot of your releases, and I'll give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else you want. Um, after this question, but. Uh, you know where I'm going, I think, because you're 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 uh, a supporter of the program for a long time now. I'm going to ask you to recommend one older and one newer release by any artist you like, metal or otherwise, um, on your label or otherwise. It's wide open. Cool. Um, so for the old pick, I kind of mentioned it already at the beginning here. I'm going to go with a Christian death metal album. I'm going to go with uh, Crimson Crimson Thorn Unearthed. It came out in 1994. Um, Midwest death metal, just kind of like a early jungle rot, early bro- broken hope. I don't know, maybe a little bit of suffocation there. Down tuned. The vocalist is just insane. Dis- Super low oh. gutturals. Disgusting. Made sure to put on the the releases that there was no pitch shifters used. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and again, it's like the fact that they were a Christian band, but they sounded like that. There's just something in my kind of oddball, quirky um, uh, taste in music that I just, like. I, li- I like that little X factor in them too, man. It just makes it that much weirder. And was that the one with the uh, the kind of skeletal corpse hanging off of a, a cross on the cover? Yeah, dude, it was such a sick album cover too. Yeah, that yeah, really, really um, great band, really great brutal for like people who like ignorant brutal death metal, man. Um, that's that's a, a good one, uh, good choice. Yeah, man, man it's like. Caveman death metal before there was caveman death metal. Yeah, yeah, man. All right, um, awesome, man. What about a new one? Uh, for my new one, I'm going to go with um, the band is Putrefaction Sets In. Yes, um, yeah. The album is uh, here. I got I got to read it. It's long. It's a lot of words. Uh, Repugnant Inception of Decomposing Paroxysm. Um, that came out this year. It's uh, it's it's like a gore grind supergroup got members from uh, general surgery uh, regurgitate uh, lymphatic phlegm uh, but i kind of feel like they've been flying under the radar a little bit which is crazy considering the members but uh it's, it's just super basic old school gore grind kind of regurgitate vibe a lot of fun i really enjoy it 
Yeah, I um, on a recent ep, I forget which episode, but in the last few weeks, um, our friend Dave Gladding has been filling in, um, helping me co-host and doing some recommendations. He talked about that a few weeks ago on the podcast. I can't remember which episode, uh, but he turned me on to that, and I was really impressed. Like you said, it's a bit of a gore grind super group for people who know all these underground gore grind bands, and it lives up to the expectation I think you would have from it. Yeah, it's so it's. It's been in my disc changer since I got it. I can't. I can't get enough of it. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, um, so that those are your two recommendations. Really good ones. I got Putrefaction sets in and Crimson Thorn, um, a band close to my heart. You know, and I got to say, when we were talking about tapes just now, the original tapes, um, I, I forgot to. Say, I have uh, the three original, the three, the the first three albums by Believer. Do you remember them? I don't know if that was part oh, of your. Oh yeah, great band. They were sick, man. Yeah. And, they were, I believe they started out a Christian band, but they started rejecting that title and just wanted to be more of a philosophical minded band later on. So I always, I've reached out to them a few times. I'd love to get their perspective on things. Uh, great band, believe Yeah, for, if, if I remember right, they're like scientists or something. I could be wrong. I thought they had like legit careers. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they reformed like a few years back and. I liked that album that they put out. I, a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was good. Kind of going a, a more of like a cynic route, like kind of just transcending yeah. death metal and being, yeah, like like what scientists would make, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, uh, cool. So that was my little um, last-minute recommendation. But um, listen, Big Daddy Gore, I appreciate your time. Um, if there's anything else, I don't do you have, do you have, you know, because you have a lot of releases, you've put out a lot of things. I try to deal with... Um, uh, most of the bands as much as I could. Shout out to uh, Brendan Wexler also. Um, I know you've put out uh, Puke Wrath, uh, a band of his, yeah. um, members of uh, Gut Void and, and things like that. Um, I, but I don't know if there's anything else that I neglected to mention from your label that you've put out that you wanted to bring up. Um, I think you hit most of them. I'm probably forgetting something, but that that's the nature of things. Um, I got a lot coming up this year, and I'm probably going to have even more than I know I have. So um, I just would recommend everybody to just follow me on Instagram, Gurgling Gore, and, and hit up gurglinggore.com regularly. Yes, sir, because death metal is forever, like you always say. Um, I, I see you out there. Uh, we appreciate your time, and um, we encourage everybody, like you, like you said, uh, follow them on Instagram and the social medias. There's a well-curated band camp. Uh, where the releases are there, and you can go. I think all your all your um, merch ordering is done right right through the Gurgling Gore uh, website now, right? It is. Yeah, we shifted away from Bandcamp, we're right on GurglingGore.com now. Yep. Beautiful, man. All right, so I wish you the best in the future, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Of course. Have a good night, brother. Thanks a lot to Big Daddy Gore from Gurgling Gore for checking in with us tonight and talking about all that brutal stuff uh, and giving us his story. Wasn't expecting all that. It was a great conversation, man. Glad we got into all that. Um, and another guest I got, I got who we're going to get into some uh, stuff, Dave Gladding, back uh, in action on the podcast. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm just chilling over here. And since I got you back on yet again, um, I shot you a recommendation this time again. 
Uh, very special one. I, I wanted to get really sick and get some really brutal conversation for this um, uh, episode that we had with Gurgling Gore, with Big Daddy Gore. So here we go. I recommended you Atrocities, Hallucinations, a 1990 album on Nuclear Blast Records. And I got some notes, like I said, and a little bit of tidbit information that longtime listeners probably heard me say already about this album that kind of relates to one of my bands. But I'll let you, I'll let you go, Dave, if you got any thoughts right off the bat. Um, yeah, my my main thought when I was listening to this was it has a very... I don't know what the Atrocity used to sound like. I know they kind of jumped around, I think, stylistically. But uh, this album, it sounds... It has a very strong resemblance to like atheist or early cynic like the demos era cynic like where it's i don't like sort of proggy sounding yeah it, it's like technical and kind of like a jumpy way if that makes yeah. sense you know but it's, yeah, re- it, it's really it, brutal too it is i was gonna say it, it's like it's like a, a a heavier version of those bands like more more rooted in like like death metal than like the prog stuff yeah and but, a little bit of grindcore too i think i got in my notes here um they go back as far back as 1985 when they were known as instigator uh, more of a grindcore styled band um and since this hallucinations in 1990 they've put out over 10 albums and various other releases up until very recently, the last few years, and all different varieties of, of kind of metal. They, they get they get they get a little out there stylistically from album to album. And this would probably be the album you want to start with if you're a fan of brutal death metal and sick death metal. And the 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 connection is that the um the the OG Afterbirth guys. I'm obviously the new singer of Afterbirth. Rest in peace to Matt Duncan. But something that the three guys, the three original members, shared with me was that this album was kind of the album that they all clicked on back in the day um, when they were doing the psychopathic embryotomy demo and writing that that sort of thing when they were they were around for you know a very short period just a few years back in the day but um, I'd like to listen to this album in that context and kind of like try to get into the connection maybe I, I hear maybe a little bit of influence in the guitar work here and there and the technicality um, and like you said it's a little more rooted in brutal death metal but it still has this like weird jumpy kind of rhythm to it people are familiar with like what the nuclear blast lineup would have been back in in this era the early 90s this is very significant of like what it's very symbolic of like what would what would become the nuclear blast lineup in a few years because i i one of the first things i ever got when i got into death metal was this nuclear blast sampler that had like everybody had dismember mortification brutality amorphous macabre i think um uh like like all these like probably bands that weren't even really on nuclear blast maybe but were distributed i think because that all these bands it was a crazy amount of bands pungent stench and um was that a death is just the beginning one of the death one of those no but it was very similar to that it was it was some nuclear blast compilation in a slimline cd man i i I'm not going to look it up right now in the, in the collection, but yeah, I'm, I'm just making the point that um, uh, this atrocity album kind of predates all that stuff, and and you can kind of, I, I bet you it was influential on more bands than just my friends in Afterbirth. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. I, mean, I think that they were they're maybe an undercredited band for what they did, and I can imagine that the reason they went off in so many different directions and experimented a lot through the course of their career is because they kind of been there, done that, and watched a lot of other bands come up that, that had a stylistic similarity after they had already done it in 90. I mean, they were doing this when Suffocation put out Effigy of the Forgotten there in that class. Yeah, and I'm I'm scrolling through their their discography right now, and holy crap, they have a lot of releases, lots of EPs, and 
singles and full lengths. It's yeah, and there's a lot of you know variety there. I'll just yeah. leave it at that. It's it's a fun band to maybe go through. I don't know what platform you listen to music on, but if you stream music or something, man, you know that's a fun band to kind of go down the wormhole on and check out how they switch it up through the years. Um, maybe you know even similar to like you know you look at a band like Zizma or someone or um, I always in my head for some reason I had Atrocity grouped in my mind with uh, Sadist. The I believe Sadist is from Italy. Um, I talked about them a little bit, and they're they're, they're another band that I'm not entirely 100 percent familiar with. But I, I just you know they, they have this avant garde, interesting experimental approach and kind of switch their style up. But that that kind of wraps it up for me on this atrocity hallucinations, which I encourage everyone to check out. Really brutal album. Um, I don't, Dave, any closing thoughts on that? No, nah, man. I think everyone just should give it a listen. It's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And go down the wormhole in their catalog if you want to hear some interesting stuff. Another thing, talking about interesting stuff, Gurgling Gore. We talked about a whole bunch of Gurgling Gore releases that are coming out this month in July. Uh, you know, Hopefully you were taking notes. If not, check them out on social media and whatever platform uh, you prefer. And their website, order from them, get some tapes, get whatever you want. And check out those new releases coming up, like he said. Uh, big shout to Big Daddy Gore. We appreciate your support all these years. Um, and Dave, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining me tonight to talk about this uh, old school atrocity album. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, I, I, if we weren't recording this, I probably would have like called up a family member just to talk to them about it. You know, like, I, like I'm in a crisis about an old school death metal album. But enough about me. Um, big shout to uh, Necrofest New York. If you're hearing this episode, it should be probably like early in July, and you can still catch Necrofest New York at the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn. There, um, the eighth, ninth, and tenth of July. If, if you like, what do you like? Doom metal? You like the little power violence there? You like a, a bunch of brutal death metal and gore grind? Look them up. Necrofest New York, St. Vitus Bar. Uh, July the seventh, eighth, and uh, July the eighth, uh, ninth, and tenth. Uh, Dave, you got your tickets, right? I got my tickets, man. I'm, I'm set to go. Beautiful. That that's great because that means I'll see you there, and then on a later episode of the podcast, we can recap the madness. I look forward to that. Me too. Sounds good. Yes. Uh, well, sp- one more thing before we sign off. Speaking of recapping the madness, I do. I have a little story to tell that's related. I got punched in the face and lost my glasses and had to request assistance. Um, for the first time in several years at a show over the weekend. What uh, what happened? Um, we exsanguinated, performed um, over there at Shaker's, uh, Shaker's Pub um, in Oakdale. And um, uh, Weeping from New Jersey performed. And Long Island turned up and turned out. Um, those guys are moshing. It's my fault. I was standing adjacent to the mosh pit. Um, all the way back, uh, trying to protect my neck, as they say in Staten Island. But I, this one little guy, I see him around at shows. Uh, I see you out there with the baseball cap. He does this thing where you go to block him, 
I go, I, I tuck my face in real quick. He ducks down low and comes up and he like smacks you in there. He, he clocked me right in the face, sent my glasses flying. And then somehow, luckily, the weeping song ended like within a few seconds. That must have been the last brutal riff. And um, uh, big shout to the young man standing next to me. I said, hey, anybody see a pair of glasses over here? And um, uh, guy, guy said, there they are. They're right there on the merch. So right there, they were there on the weeping T-shirt. So it's actually the last uh, riff of Weeping's set. I got punched in the face and got my glasses launched onto Weeping's T-shirt display at the old. So shout to Shakers Pub in Oakdale. That's kind of just typical. You gotta, I, you know, you gotta take your licks in life, really, Dave. So did you buy a T-shirt after uh, your, the the T-shirt saved your glasses? I'm glad you brought that up. Because here's something that occurred to me, man. If you sell T-shirts in sizes bigger than extra large, advertise it. Because um, we don't always like to ask. I don't always want to be the big Shrek-looking man who approaches the merch table and goes, oh, you got a 4X, you got a 3X uh, before I go over there and squeeze another pizza in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you just put the sizes and the prices out, get a Sharpie marker and a piece of paper or a napkin. It takes five minutes. So I don't know, man. But they were from New Jersey, so there's a good chance they had a 4X. Shout out to Weeping. I bought a vinyl record. Though that's why I feel entitled to joke, though, man. Support those guys. Check out Weeping from New Jersey. Maybe we'll get them on here eventually. Um, great death metal band. Great live set. Three power trio. Um, that managed to sound really powerful live. They did it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I haven't listened to any of their recorded material, but I've seen quite a few live videos mm. uh, bouncing around on social media, and I definitely would like to check them out. Catch them live. Buy yeah. an album. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I bought I bought the vinyl there. I'm gonna listen to it. The um. Uh, you know, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we're talking here because another band, I don't know if you've ever heard of Raid, R-A-I-D, from Elmont. Um, are you familiar with that band? I've not heard of them, no. No, it's because I'm creeping, man. I'm on the underground, bro. I'm on the super underground tip right now. I'm still out there, middle-aged guy at the show, looking weird, making people uncomfortable just by being there. But I saw um a powerful new band on the scene raid raid from elmont really enjoyed their set really interesting stuff um rhythmically a little bit out there and different from what people are doing or might expect um kind of a hardcore sound but almost i don't know man i don't want to i don't want to categorize them but they had this kind of weird cool noisy noise rock sludge element going on and they i liked i liked the whole sound they had man so let's keep your eyes peeled for that band uh, R-A-I-D, Raid from Elmont, man. Um, another good band on the come up. And um, big shout to Living in Fear. I think they're based out of Georgia. I think they're from Atlanta, if I got that correctly, man. Hopefully I did. Living in Fear. You ever hear of them? No, I haven't. Jeez, I'm really uh, I'm no, out of it. I'm just punishing you now because these are all bands with like guys that are like 20 years old or something in them. And I shouldn't know these bands. I should be doing other things with my time. But... Um, they're, they're like, kind of like a crossover band, like a thrash. I don't want to categorize them or compare them, but they do that kind of a uh, hardcore thrash metal type of crossover thing. That's, that's big. Now they do it really good. And that's not necessarily a style. That's, that's all my thing, but, um, I really enjoyed them. Powerful band. Uh, you into that type of stuff, Dave, a crossover thing? Not, not really. Honestly, I, uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who likes a lot of hardcore, and I feel like outside of like SOD, I just can't get into uh crossover. Like when I listen to hardcore, it's gotta be like full hardcore. I can't like the metal elements make it just sound like sort of watered down metal. I, I think so, yeah. 
I think when you listen to really extreme metal, like brutal death metal and black metal and grind, sometimes like it. It's, this is funny because I was listening to Propane, The Truth Hurts. Mm-hmm. That's I have a lot of nostalgia for that album because a friend of mine when we were like thirteen managed to buy it from the Wall in in the Walt Women Mall, um, and it had the the original cover with like the the um, the crime scene photos like right out there on on the front cover I remember and that made a big impression. But I was listening to the album today and it sounded so much more menacing and scary and brutal when I was thirteen or fourteen. But it's like once you listen to like Cryptopsy and Dead Infection for fucking twenty years. Some of these metal elements on the like crossover records do seem a little um, watered down or out of context. I think. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think the only crossover I think that I can listen to now is like, like I said, like SOD or like Ludacrist. Yeah, yeah, I, I see. I'm, I'm not so um, big on a lot of that type of stuff, man. But I, I this band living in fear. You know what it was? I caught them live at Amityville Musical. Shout out to Blame God. There was a cool matinee show out there, and um, uh, they, yeah, they really had a powerful performance. The singer was doing something a little different on vocals. Uh, they had cool lead guitars, which kind of like backed up the metal portion of the. The performance, I you know, they just kind of hit it for me, man. So I just want to shout them out, man. We'll talk to them, maybe hopefully in the future. We'll try, we'll try to reach out to them. Living in Fear, I believe they're from Georgia. Good band, um, but yeah, I just want to shout that out, man. We're trying to talk about some some bands, um, maybe that we haven't even booked for interviews, and just just uh, shout them out and big them up and, and upcoming shows lately. Um, and but like we said, these gurgling gore uh, releases are coming out coming up soon. And atrocities, hallucinations, you might be able to find on Discogs. I don't know. Necrofest coming up next week. Uh, Dave, I thank you very much for joining me to talk about all this stuff this evening. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good. Uh, always good to talk to you. Of course, man. Maybe we can meet up after Necrofest and compare notes for the podcast, man. Shout out to the listeners. Um, if any of you were there, we'll see you. And um, you can also see us on our um, Instagram and all that other social media stuff. You can follow us. Um, you can send us messages and leave us voicemails, which should be the voicemail number will be in the description wherever you're listening to this, whatever platform you do. Um, uh, uh, what, what do you think about the interview? What do you think about the bands we talk about? What do you think about us? You don't like Big Will. You think Big Will comes off a little strong. Let let the other people speak. I don't know. What's what's the deal, man? I, I'm trying to use old, uh, um, uh, 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 Irish uh, spring soap nowadays. You know, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Leave, leave us a message or a voicemail, and we'll get back to you maybe on the show, maybe not. Um, and also check out uh, 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 um, Roast Mortem, uh, Tom's other podcast. Shout out to Tom behind the scenes, hooking us up with all the audio and the production quality. And Justin, of course, it's a big team that's ever expanding. We're talking to some other people behind the scenes to get them involved. Uh, but for tonight, Dave, again, I thank you very much. Uh, any any parting words for the listeners, Dave? Be good to each other, man. I, I like that one. <laughs> 